I'm Austin. I'm Mike. We are the test drivers. And we put tech through its paces. Goodbye embargoes, because this <laughs> is the Test Drivers Exposed episode. <laughs> You're free. You've been released, no longer held down by Big Google, and you can say whatever you want. The man can't censor me now. Okay, well, in some ways they can't. But no, it feels free. I feel like last episode, every word that came out of my mouth, I was like second-guessing, like, can I say this? Maybe not. I'm just going to say it anyway. The test driver's audience are cool, right? Y'all aren't going to tattle on me, right? Write you out. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they did. You'll find out if you get the next Google Pixel. I'm just Seven <laughs> some, some dude in his suit's about to knock on my door like, well, uh, 37 minutes in the Test Drivers podcast. Uh, you, you mentioned a spec that was outside the embargo. Mm, I don't know, man. Uh-oh. I don't know. So yeah, later on in the episode today, we are going to finish off your thoughts on the, the new Pixel phones so we can talk about camera and performance and all that kind of stuff, which I'm excited about. Um, we are as well, like we were just, we were talking about this before we started recording today. I feel like we're kind of reaching towards the end of new tech for the year. Yeah. It feels like it has been a marathon. Like big one. It it feels almost like it's been nonstop from February until now of just new stuff, new stuff, huge rumors and everything. But now I feel like we've got a little period of calm. We get to collect ourselves. We get to look through the bountiful harvest that was 2021 as far as new technology and then start thinking about like iPhone 17 rumors for next year or whatever. I was uh, going through my RSS feeds a couple of days ago and I saw everything we know about the Apple Watch 8. And I was like, how? Oh, how? Actually, it's not on our show notes. I got my uh, Series 7 literally set up this morning. So I finally upgraded from the Series 4. Uh, Four, four to seven. So this is your first always-on display, then. It is my first always-on display. It's bright. I'm not. I, I'm so used to for so many years. It's pretty bright, yeah. Yeah, but like constantly like rotating my wrist like in a very exaggerated way. Like it's just like I don't even think about. it. I've just been doing that. But now I've just been like kind of casually looking down. I'm like, oh yeah, the screen's mm-hmm. still on. Oh yeah, the screen's like still on. Like watch should be. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, <laughs> every other watch. It's nice. I mean, I will freely admit the only reason I upgraded to the Series Seven was because after many years of excellent use, I somehow very severely scratched the screen on my Series 4 that I have no idea how I did it. One day, I was on a shoot, and I just looked down, and I had this like massive scratch across the bottom third of the screen, and I was just like, yeah, it happens. oh. But no, but it, I, that was the first time I'd ever scratched an Apple Watch screen. I've never used screen protectors. Yeah. I've used you know the, the stainless steel pretty much since the beginning. I've had a few of them at this point, and just that one random day, I somehow scratched it. So if it weren't for that, I probably wouldn't have upgraded, but... It's huh. a nice upgrade. It also feels a little faster to me. I don't know. If I, it's probably a slightly newer chip. Well, I mean, chip. it should. It should. I mean, you. it's only one more chip generation because they put a new chip, or maybe it's two. I think they put a new chip in the six. They didn't in the five, if I'm remembering right, because they didn't put a new chip in the seven compared to the yeah. six. It's got the same yeah. same chip in it. I know that they've they've skipped that a little bit, but yeah, I guess the, it's obviously the screen's bigger. What, what um, spec have you got? What case... So I've got the. I've always been on the stainless steel. I just like the 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 silver no anodized or anodized whatever. I, I would just do like the straight silver stainless steel. Yeah. Um, I have the forty five millimeter, and I always just use the regular sport band. I've got the midnight band, but I always use black, gray, dark blue. I'm always just like a very mm-hmm. neutral. I don't ever change my bands because like this watch lives its entire life on my wrist. I sleep with it. I charge it for a few minutes in the morning, a little bit at night, and then that's just what I use for everything. So I don't like to have to swap and stuff. But yeah, it's 
it's good. The larger screen is nice. Um, and obviously, I've just gotten it. I think battery life is maybe not as much of an upgrade as I was hoping since they're always on display. I might turn it off. I don't know. I'll don't, have to see. Don't, 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 don't turn it off. <sighs> Just get the new cable, the new fast charge cable. I do have that. I do have that. So yeah. as long as I make it comfortably through the day, I should be fine. Mine goes through the day, like for okay. sure. And also the Series 7 is an improvement on my Series 5 battery. Okay, okay, that's good. My Series 5, I would get to the end of the day, like maybe like midnight, and it would be like, oh, 10% time, you know, mm. like when it starts doing, really getting upset. Now I finish the day on like 25, 30%. Okay, that's good. Within the first couple of days, the watch battery is always pretty bad. It's like, it's, I don't know, setting itself up or whatever. I, I would, I reckon you'll be fine. If you were coming from a Series 4, that battery would have would have gotten worse over that time. So I yeah. would be really surprised if you didn't have better uh, support. And then you've got the fast charging anyway. When you do that top up, you'll get a much bigger yeah. um, top up. The problem so. is I have one of the, I think it's a Belkin, like three-in-one charge dock that has the Apple Watch charger built in. But now I'm just like, oh, mm. I like it because it's got like the little spot for your like wireless headphones and everything. But now it's just like, yeah. I need to, but to be fair, I feel like we've talked about this a couple times. Ever since the pandemic, my charging setup across my entire life has been in disarray because, like, for months, I would just steal cables. I'm like, oh, I just need this. I'll pull that out of my travel bag. Not using that anytime oh, soon. Oh, yeah, I'm wrecked. <laughs> I'm totally wrecked. Like, if I go somewhere for the weekend and, like, I don't... I'm pulling cables from all over the place because these just have this like pouch. It had everything yep. in, but like two things happened. I started taking a bunch of stuff out, and then some of my devices they now have different charging. Oh. So like, we're going to go to the MacBook Pro later on, right? Mm -hmm. Well, now now I need a new brick, right? So I yep. got a new brick that I have to take everywhere, which you know it's USB C, so I could swap it around to other stuff. But now it's like a new brick, and now I've added the MagSafe cable in because why not? And it's like yep. it's all changed again. And I bought this new pouch to like put all the stuff in. And I sat down a couple of days ago. I got all my charges out, and I just gave up. I was like, I just don't <laughs> know what to do. I don't know how to do this. Like I was like, what do I need? It's like I I need to really like sit down, start drawing out some diagrams, right? Like uh, it's it's a bit of a nightmare right now. I I had such a good like this is just lives in my bag and it's read always ready for when I travel. And now it's just it's in disarray. So I, as we were talking about uh, briefly before the show, had a little bit of international travel last week. Yep, and uh, I realized very quickly that half my cables and accessories had just disappeared. It wasn't like I just moved them. Like, I don't think they exist anymore. I turned yeah. everything around. I couldn't find, like, half my stuff. I was just like, I, I don't even get it. So I feel like It's over been assimilated into other parts of your life. That's what's <sighs> happening. It's just it like leaked out because you're like oh I need this let me just grab it out of here yeah. it's like a thing you'd never do but you did it because the bag was unused for like a year or whatever yeah and like I have like I have like a little laptop like sort of a small bag that I use sort of as my everyday carry but I have a backpack that I use for travel and I usually hop a few cables and a few things back and forth but at this point I like I feel like over the winter break I'm gonna sit down and like you said draw the diagrams out build a giant Amazon cart of just like okay I'm just going to hit the reset button. Just like I need to declare sock bankruptcy every once in a while, I need to declare cable and charger bankruptcy and just restart with these MacBooks and Apple Watch and all this kind of nonsense. Yep. It's a bit of a mess. But I'll be keen to know how how you'll um, what you think about the Apple Watch in the long term. Because it, it does take a little bit of time, I think, to get used to it. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I feel good about it so far. I mean, like I said, yeah. the Series 4 was great. Like, there was nothing that really caused me issues with it. The battery life was still decent. Um, the fact that the always-on is on is cool, but... I, I, the watch is kind of a different thing for me in that it is much more of a utility than an actual gadget. Like, it's just something that I use. Like, I don't think about upgrading my microwave every year. I don't think about upgrading my watch every year. It's just like, oh, cool. Handful of new features. Sweet. I'm just going to keep using it. Yeah, I actually appreciate that. Mm-hmm. It's It can be every few years where I feel like, I know I know all tech can or whatever, but you know the the iPhone they I think they do try to make it worthy year over year. Like I know that, that people have different opinions on that. Totally understand it, but I think Apple does do some work to try and like yeah. If you do upgrade every year, you will feel it because a lot of people do. Like Apple even have their own program, right? Like you get a new phone every year, just get on the upgrade program. But I feel with the watches, it doesn't. There is just isn't so much of a benefit. They do add less, you know, like the Series 5, just basically the only thing it had was like the screen was brighter. Oh, sorry, the Series 6, the screen was brighter than the 5 and it brought in the O2 sensor, but mm-hmm. that was kind of like it. And this one, it's like, hey, the screen's bigger. And like that's, <laughs> and, and it's also a little bit brighter. But like, I appreciate that. It's like more incremental because, like, we don't, you know, you don't want to feel, I feel, if you're, if you know, people listen to a show, they're very tech focused, right? And so we always want the latest and greatest. But to, to, to have a device where you can feel more comfortable of like, I'll just do this every two or three years, yeah, I think is, is pretty good. I mean, I would want to throw away a nice, expensive, you know, mechanical watch every couple of years, right? You want some longevity, no. not only in the software, but just in, you know, it's a watch. It's not something that you're yeah. just going to, you know, use for 15 minutes and, and bounce on. I will say from like up doing like this for a, a few years, Apple Watches really retain value on resale. Oh, do they really? Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I had a, a, an Apple Watch edition, the ceramic one. Mm. And it might be because this watch was was rare, but it was like, I don't know, say it was like a thousand pounds or something when it came out because yeah. it was one of their special ones. I think we just sold it for like 750. Whoa. Which, and that was a Series 5. So wow. it's over two years old. And I wouldn't have expected that. So, and we've had it before. I think when I, we sold a Series 3 at one point, or some, Series 2, mm-hmm. and it retained like maybe 75% of the value after wow. a few years, which is just not what I would have expected for the Apple Watch. So, no. people, people do want them and they just want a deal on them, you know? That makes sense. Well, I'm glad that there's like long term software support. Like, unlike, I feel like the Series Zero, whatever, had like a couple years and they were like, okay, you spent $20,000 was... on the gold one. Well, too bad. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 uh, the processor in that one was not so great. So slow. It was so slow. I was yep. on that Series yep. Zero for like two or three years. <laughs> yep. So there's also um, some other new Apple accessories. Have you seen the Beats Fit Pros? Yeah, I've seen a couple of reviews come out for them. So it's like, um, I think The Verge called them basically AirPods Pro, but Beats. Yeah, yeah, that's a decent way to describe them. So I've got a pair of them in. Uh, the, okay, so I'm just going to just throw my personal biases out real quick. The case is big. 
the case is it's almost a little bit closer to like the power beats where it has like the little like hook for your ears. And because uh-huh. of that, the case is just larger. And because of that, I see. Yep. I always like the test for me 100% of the time, if I'm going to carry around a pair of earbuds with me on a daily basis, which I do, does it fit in that little pocket in your jeans? You know, the little mini pocket. Mm-hmm. And these definitely don't even come close. Like these are way too big. This, this is quite a chunky case. Mm-hmm. Like, it's got. It seems like it's about twice the depth that it needs to be to fit the, to fit the yeah, meat. You know. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, okay. Hmm. So that aside, they are really nice, right? So um, they come in at two hundred dollars. They do have the active noise cancellation. Unlike the Studio Buds, they do have the Apple specific chip. Whereas I believe the Studio Buds were using something a little bit more like kind of quote unquote off the shelf. Which, to be fair, if you are an Android user, which any of my earbuds yep. I do kind of hop back and forth. The Studio Buds are better supported with Android. They support like Google Swift yep. Pair or, or Quick Pair, whatever it's called. So there are definitely some advantages. But on the flip side, with the Fit Pro, you do have access to all the cool Apple bits of, you know, handoff. You have access to the spatial audio. And they sound really quite good. Um, as far as like fitment, I think they're pretty comfortable. They're still very lightweight. And they've got, it's not like the full hook around the outside of yours. It just kind of goes in like that inner sort of like, I don't know what you call it. I'm sure there's some medical term. The, like the inner part of your ear, which just kind of gives you a little support in addition to the buds. Yep. They're they're nice. My concern is kind of similar to the AirPods 3 in that earbuds are usually on sale and these brand new ones just aren't. So you're talking about like 200 bucks for the Beats Fit Pro and 180 bucks for the new AirPods. Whereas you can get these studio buds for like $130 right now. And to me, I like those studio buds a lot. And especially at 130 bucks, that's it's tough to recommend almost anything else under that sort of $150 price category right now. Did it be Studio Buds have noise canceling? They, they do, do right? yeah, they do. Yeah. So they lack uh wireless charging, but uh, surprise, surprise, the $200 Beats Fit Pros also lack wireless charging. Also, I feel like the Beats Fit Pros they sound fairly similar, like, there's certainly some differences, and I think it's a lot down to like the chip and the processing because they, they look very similar, like physically. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're like kind of somewhat similar on the inside. They both sound mm-hmm. very nice, but I, I don't know, I like to, to me. I think the Studio Buds are low-key some of the best headphones you can buy right now. Because, like, AirPods Pro, sure, are better in some ways, but they're, you know, 80, 70, 80 bucks more expensive at the moment. And I kind of like the sound of the Studio Buds more than the AirPods Pro. Yeah, I remember you mentioning that before. Mm-hmm. I guess, really, like, it's just if you want this form factor. Yeah, Because like, it does feel like it is much more of a sporty, right, like, intense fit form factor where, like, the Beat Studio Buds, AirPods, AirPods Pro, depending on the activity you're doing, could fall out of your ears. Yep. Where the Fit Pro is expected not to do that. So, if you want it immediately, you'll be paying a premium. But I think what we've learned from what you mentioned, if you wait a little bit longer, these mm-hmm. will come down in price. Like you can get AirPods Pro way cheaper now than you can get them from Apple and like through through official channels like Amazon and stuff. So yeah, and I think that's one of the problems with a lot of the AirPod reviews that went up of. People like, oh, these are great, but you can buy AirPods Pro for like 10 bucks more, 20 bucks more. So why would you buy the regular AirPods Some 3? people don't like the silicone things. But to be honest, people that I know that don't like the silicone in-ear thing, seem like it seems to be like most of my friends who have got this or have people in their lives that have gotten their AirPods 3 to try out also don't find them as comfortable as regular AirPods. They're a little bit more divisive, I think. Uh, yeah. To, to me, they are a little bit more comfortable. I like the AirPods 3 more than the older AirPods. 
Uh, mm-hmm. But I was—I used to be one of those people. I used to not like silicone ear tips. Uh, but I feel like over the last few years, I've just kind of just gotten used to them, and now I don't really think about it all that often. But right, it's—it's it's a tough thing, man. Earbuds are a very personal thing, and I think there's I think so. so much sort of activity in sort of the space with you know. There's so much profit in these little Bluetooth accessories and everyone wants to make something. And, you know, the quality of these things has massively improved. I mean, it's easy to forget. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that AirPods really kind of changed the game on what fully wireless earbuds could do. Now everyone has a pair. Almost everyone's pairs are good. And there's still good differentiation between, you know, like the Sony side where they have a little bit more of the high end where they've got crazy noise cancellation and better isolation, but also they're big, they're heavy, they're not as sort of cheap. Uh, there's there's a lot of different options. Yep. I still think, though, that for most people, the Beats Studio Buds at $130 with active noise cancellation, no matter if you're on the iOS or the Android side of the camp, are still really, really solid. This episode of The Test Drivers is brought to you by The Intrazone. If you're looking for a new podcast to add to your queue, The Intrazone is a bi-weekly show with conversations and interviews hosted by the SharePoint team on how SharePoint, OneDrive, Teams, Viva, and more can work for you and your business. I love finding new podcasts to listen to. I especially like shows like this where they focus on specific topics so you can pick and choose even old episodes when you come across the show for the first time to you know, maybe get a bit more information in a certain area. Every single episode covers a bunch of segments like news and announcements, focus topics, guest perspectives uh, from product experts inside and outside of Microsoft, as well as focusing on upcoming events, conferences, and workshops. With the IntraZone, you'll be hearing from guest experts behind the scenes and out in the field so you can see how SharePoint and Microsoft 365 fit into your everyday work life and learn more about the flexibility when working with content, workflow, search, and more. I checked out an episode myself where it was really fascinating on looking how you can take paper and you know information that's otherwise stored on paper and digitize it and then use all of these tools to make trends and find the patterns in this information in a digital form that you otherwise never could if it's all just sitting in like folders and filing cabinets. Um, every single episode has all these really interesting perspectives. You know, stuff like if you want to learn more about knowledge management and search or how to change experiences for your employees or really utilize tools like Microsoft Lists. So go and check it out right now. Search for The IntraZone wherever you get your podcasts. That's I-N-T-R-A-Z-O-N-E or you can just click the link in the show notes. Go and check it out. A thanks to The IntraZone by Microsoft SharePoint for their support of this show and Relay FM. So Intel has some new CPUs. People are saying Intel is back. Is Intel back, Austin? Okay, so uh, something to always, always consider whenever you have a conversation like this is you have to consider the huge timescales that are involved in making CPUs and process nodes and all this kind of stuff, right? What we're seeing with the 12th gen Intel CPUs was probably already baked in the oven three, four, maybe even five years ago, right? Like they have already made a lot of these decisions. They were already on this sort of train a long time ago. So it's easy to think like, oh, you know, they saw Ryzen 5 and decided to counter. No, they probably started working on this when Ryzen 1 came out, right? So I think it's just worth kind of thinking about there's these huge bets and there's a lot that's involved here. So the gist of it is this. With 12th gen Intel, there's a few major new bits of tech. First of all is the quote-unquote Intel 7 process, which is their 10, but whatever. The process nodes and the names are whatever. 
It is a newer process. Thankfully, we're now getting desktop CPUs on a much more modern process node instead of what we've been on forever. We also have the addition of a bunch of new stuff, including DDR5 memory. We have PCI 5.0, and we have a, they don't call it like this, but it's essentially a big little core design. So you have the P cores and the E cores, just like you've got on that new MacBook Pro with the M1 mm -hmm. Pro and the Macs and your phone, everything. It seems pretty clear that now really AMD are the main outliers for just having a single set of cores. You know, there's just Zen. There's not high performance, low performance. Do you think that AMD will change, will, will adopt this kind of system too? It's interesting because, so maybe. The problem is they've said in the past that they were not planning on it, but obviously it's hard. they're not really going to say much. It's a lot of work. So for context, if you're Apple, right, you've got a lot of incentive to develop two classes of cores, the, P, the performance cores and the efficiency cores, the P and the E. The efficiency cores are incredibly helpful on your phones and they're sort of spread everywhere, but also like, you know, the watch is using a variant of the E core, right? Like you've got a lot of reason, but to develop an E-core and a P-core is about the same amount of work. It's a lot, a lot of work. And the actual configuration of it, like once you have your CPU core, you put one, two, four, eight, 12, 16, whatever you want to do, you can kind of design the chip around it. But actually developing the cores themselves is very expensive and very time consuming. Intel yeah. has gone through that. Now, this is not something brand new for Intel. They've previously made, they had you know, their regular core processors and they had like Intel Atom and stuff, which were the smaller things for cheaper devices. So they already had kind of worked on multiple cores at the same time. This is just the first time that we're seeing it in a mainstream chip altogether, right? So you have multiple, depending on Core i5 and i7 and i9, all that kind of stuff, you have multiple performance cores paired with multiple efficiency cores, which can all work together, especially once you have like Windows 11, it's better like scheduling threads and everything like that. AMD does not have an equivalent little core. The last time they had that was, I think it was Jaguar, which was the very sort of weak CPU cores they shipped inside like the Xbox One and the PS4 and whatnot. It's been a long time since they've had that. So right now, the top line is this. Intel has taken back the performance crown, small asterisk. They have a lot of performance, right? Especially when you look at the top end Core i9, you outfit it with DDR5 memory, which does seemingly give you a pretty decent performance advantage. You got a lot of performance, not only in gaming, but also in heavily threaded workloads like, you know, 3D rendering and video editing and that kind of stuff, right? The big asterisk, or the small asterisk, is the you need more support for these things, right? So not only are the motherboards more expensive, the memory is very expensive. Some boards will support DDR4, which is probably a smart move at the moment. But also, these things are very power hungry. Intel has kind of opened up the taps like they have for the last couple of years and delivering a lot of performance if you're okay with a lot of power consumption, right? So you're talking about, yeah, it'll outperform AMD, but also it'll do it at up to twice the power, which if you've got a big beefy cooler in your gaming PC, cool, sweet, whatever. Right. But not everyone has that. And especially when you think about this being constrained down to like laptops and whatnot, it might be a little bit more of a, I, I feel like we're seeing sort of the best case scenario at the moment like with the way they did. power means, well, I mean, one, you've got to have, as you say, you've got to have the power. So you need to have a power supply that can feed it. Mm -hmm. Then power also means heat. So then you need a cooling system that yep. can cool it. Yes. So, you know, like 
as we're recording this, we're just seeing like first benchmarks and stuff like that. But and so like in the right conditions with the right, you know, you've got the good motherboard for it, you've got DDR5 RAM for it, which is all new as well. And you have a good cooling system, and you like if in the right circumstances it's beating AMD, but I think over the next, I don't know, days, weeks, we might start to see more about like realistic performance mm. could be different i don't know i mean you could you can tell me but like it seems like to get the best out of these systems kind of reminds me of when we got all the new graphics cards you kind of have to change everything <laughs> to get the best out of it so i think one of the most telling things was uh dave 2d did a video uh yep. on you know the new processors and stuff and he built a system you know he properly cooled it. it was a smaller system but he properly cooled it but he also tested an alienware with i believe it was a 120 mil aio and he was seeing throttling on a 120 mil aio which to be fair that is not the beefiest cool in the world but also i would say i mean not only would that be plenty for pretty much any sort of regular ryzen processor but that's very much probably at least as good if not slightly better than most people are using so if you're building one of these systems or you're buying one you really need to consider that you need, for maximum performance, a very beefy, you need like a 240 millimeter AIO or a 360, or maybe you even need like some giant, giant like air cooler or something. Like you can run these things and obviously, you know, that's looking at the top end model. And if you're running like maybe an i5 or something, it's gonna be a little bit more reasonable. But I think that is something to consider. I, I, I don't wanna take away, like I feel like there's been a lot of like negativity around Intel. They deserve props for delivering a very meaningful jump in performance, right? Mm -hmm. Not mm -hmm. only are they had, you know, their first ship DDR5 and PCI 5.0, which really there's not much you can do with PCI 5.0 right now, but you can imagine, you know, be able to hook up crazy SSDs and graphics cards and all that kind of stuff over the coming years. The thing is, right now though, these chips are also pretty expensive. Now it does depend. Uh, we'll see how the actual supplies are. That's probably gonna be sold out immediately like everything else. But technically, these are usually based on the SKU a little bit more expensive than AMD. And to be mm -hmm. fair, they generally deliver also a little bit more performance. So that's not by coincidence. But it's an interesting spot. And also, it's an interesting spot because you're comparing these new Intel chips to essentially year-old uh, AMD stuff. And we know that they have not only another revision of Ryzen 5000 with the uh, better cache and whatnot, but also they have a brand new full generation, which is going to be coming out likely somewhere in like the middle of next year. So mm. uh, there's, a, there's a lot to kind of break down here. I think it's a good thing. I think it's very exciting that Intel has finally gotten rid of the last vestiges of that old stuff, that, you know, the 14 nanometer processors that they kept dragging along. But it does seem like to hit the kind of performance that they have done, they had to be pretty high on that, that sort of power to performance curve. They had to really kind of throw a lot of voltage, a lot of watts of power at these chips to get this kind of performance. Whereas AMD, with what is still a superior process, were able to do it in a much more efficient way, even though technically they don't have the additional like P and E cores and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's an interesting one. It's a really interesting one. But I think it's a very, very good thing for all of us gamers who want to rise up and get the most power. Oh, boy. There's some good... No, but it's for real, though. There's some good... No, like, I, I want to see this. I, I don't want... Personally, I don't want to just see like AMD like continually take a lead. Like I want to see Intel catch up, AMD try and beat Intel, you know. And similarly, we're gonna talk about this in a bit. Apple in the yeah. fray of it all, which is hilarious now. Like you just think like historically, it's just like a hilarious thought. But, like I want to see all of these companies pushing 
each other. You know, like for, for I mean, for all we know, I I don't know, but like you know, what well, is clearly Arm and Apple kind of going down this like uh, split core model has pushed Intel into this. Mm-hmm. You know, especially because Intel had to do something because they they're still on their ten nanometer process. Yeah. Which is hilarious to me that they've called this their, what is it, Intel 7? 7. <laughs> but it's still, t- it's very, it's like, this is like smoke and mirrors. It's called 7. It's like, this is Intel's pro- like 7 process, but it's still on 10 nanometer. They're not on the 7 nanometer yet, which they still haven't been able to hit. But I mean, this is great though, because on their 10 nanometer, they're still able to outperform uh, AMD at the moment or like AMD's stuff from last year. But that's still good, right? Yes. So like when Intel eventually get to their incredibly, incredibly delayed 7 nanometer, it should push them further again. So this is good that they're able to find these gains on this process, but it's still hilarious to me that they're calling it Intel 7. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, like I will give them a little bit of credit. The idea of like a 5 nanometer, 4 or 7 or 10 nanometer processor, it all is pretty fuzzy because like, you're not really measuring you're going to get more performance doesn't mean that you still have to optimize for that you still have to get it out right well also it's it's almost more of a marketing thing right because like i think the better way to think about it oftentimes it's it's complicated but one of the better ways to think about it is just how dense the processes are and so Mm -hmm. if you think about traditionally you know shrinking from you know 10 to 7 to 5 or whatever would mean that you can make a more dense chip and what we've seen is that the Intel 10 is good, but maybe not quite as dense as like TSMC 7 and certainly not as dense as TSMC 5, which is what not only all of the Apple chips have been on for a little while now, like M1 and what Max and Pro and A15 and whatnot, but also now they're working toward like four and three and whatnot. So it's complicated, but I agree. I think it's absolutely a good thing that there's some real competition here. Intel is not like that, like weird kind of almost the old school AMD option of remember like when like AMD chips were not that great, but they would like throw a billion Watts at them and be like, we can overclock mm-hmm. to 75 gigahertz. And everyone's like, well, I, I guess this kind of makes sense sometimes. Like there's real reasons to go with Intel and with AMD right now. My big concern really, at least in this sort of early phase is that to get this really nice CPU performance out of Intel chips, you need to pay a lot of money for a motherboard. And you also have to pay a lot of money for DDR5 memory. You can skimp on both, but then you're kind of sort of sacrificing the future. Because like, if you get a DDR5 motherboard, you always have to be DDR5. Same thing with DDR4. And my assumption is most people want the more future-proof board that you can use for you know however many years and generations in the future. So it's not as clear-cut as just looking at a couple of benchmarks, looking at the price of the CPU and calling it a day. Yeah, I think... I still want to see, right? I still what what does it look like if you do cuz you you these chips do they they require new motherboards? Yes, it is an all new socket. Okay. Oh, so also something to consider. Uh it is not only a new socket, but it is a new larger socket, which means that most CPU coolers will not work. You need a specific bracket. So you it needs a new motherboard and needs a new cooler, but you can use DDR4 RAM if you want to. Yes, but right. so the chip, so any of these 12th gen chips will work with DDR4 or DDR5. However, a motherboard will only do one or the other. So you can't swap in DDR4 or DDR5. If you pick a board, oh. it either works with DDR4 or DDR5, but there's no cross compatibility. The same chip okay. will work, but you have to pick. And my assumption looked at based on kind of what they've announced so far, DDR5 is a little bit more prevalent in the high end. 
and a lot of the lower end boards are DDR4, which has knock on effects of, you know, you need a lot of cooling and a lot of VRM to feed the 200 plus watts to the chip. It's complicated. It's definitely complicated. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's especially complicated considering, I guess, a lot of people will have upgraded some components in the machine to get a new graphics card. Mm-hmm. And so now it's like, oh, you want to you want to get the best? Well, <laughs> you got to get rid of seventy five percent of your PC again. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So it's a good thing that there is this competition. I do think that this is a major step forward, but I think it is not as cut and dry as just sweet. Look how fast this thing is. Look how great it is. Because like it's easy to watch a two-minute video, see some benchmarks. I think obviously Intel's way ahead. And if you have the money and if you have the right setup, they are. But there are enough variables and enough extra money you need to spend to get there. Whereas on the AMD side, it's a little bit more straightforward. Although, to give some credit here, it does seem like there's some potential big looming changes on the AMD side as well. So the next generation likely will be DDR5. In fact, they may have already confirmed that. Uh, very likely will also have a new um, like CPU socket. I believe they've mm. talked about that. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe that that's what they're doing. So some of the stuff that we're talking about with more expensive boards and everything on the Intel side, probably going to be the same for AMD here in the next year. So, Well, I mean, I can speak to difficulties with motherboards and AMD processors, right? Like you've had this a bunch of times. It's like, yeah, it works, but you need to have an old processor lying around. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, great. Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's good though. I'm, I'm just happy because I feel like we've been talking so much about how like, you know, as soon as M1 came out, it sort of changed the conversation and it's just like, oh my God, Apple just destroying everyone and Intel is terrible and we're, they're dropping out of MacBooks and stuff. But now it's like, look, there are very good reasons, performance-wise, you know, price-wise yep. and whatnot, that you can see, oh, look, these M1 Max and M1 Pros and stuff are, are great. But also, this Ryzen processor is super killer for this laptop. And this new Intel processor is great for my really high-end gaming workstation. Like, it's nice that there is legitimate good options across the board instead of like, oh, well, I've got to use X because that's my only because, option. Yeah, yeah. So the MacBook Pros, we we both have MacBook Pros. You don't have, quote, your MacBook Pro yet, though, right? Yes. So we were a little late on ordering. I think I talked about this last time. On uh, We yep. needed a fair few upgrades in the office. So I'm currently waiting on my 14-inch M1 Max, which is going to arrive at some point in the next... What were, the, what were your know. specs? So I've got 32 gigs of RAM, the right. M1 Max with the 32-core GPU and a two terabyte SSD in silver. Because like I know stores are carrying some of the yeah, higher... I've looked mark, through. Like, I could probably cancel my order and try to track something down. But uh, as we'll probably talk about briefly, after spending some time with a base model 14, so we have one of these in the office. They're just a base, mm-hmm. base 14 inch. I'm not in any huge rush to drop my 13 inch M1 MacBook. What? Nope. what? <laughs> Look at you, Mr. Contrarian. I am. Look, I'm a Z Flip user. I'm, I'm talking about my, my my old MacBook that's 12 months uh-huh. old at this point. Uh, we, we, we can talk about it. I don't know if you have thoughts because you already have your quote-unquote final model, right? I have mine. Like It's my 14-inch. I went with the Max, but the middle GPU, mm-hmm. like the 24 or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and two terabytes of SSD. Storage, 64 gigabytes of RAM. Nice. 
and I absolutely adore it. It's incredible. I love this computer so much. So I'm really curious because you still record a mix of you use an iMac, an M1 iMac to yes. record. That's what I'm using right now. So then, okay, where does the MacBook fit in your life? So my MacBook Pro is like everything I do on a computer that is not recording and editing a podcast, which oh, for me okay. is a lo- is is most of my computer time, right? Yeah. Like all of my show prep, all of my like email communication, all that kind of stuff, like my general work is all being done on a MacBook Pro. Now, the majority, the vast majority of time, it's plugged into an LG display, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a bit of an upset for me now because the display on the laptop <laughs> is so much better. Like, this wasn't so much of an issue with my previous MacBook Pro, where, like, I knew the display on the MacBook Pro was better, but, like, well, not in ways that was, you know, I was upset about. But this is, like, it's uh, missing out on the 120 mm. uh, frames per second. The yep. color, obviously, the mini LED color, like the Pro Display. What do they call it? The XDR, Retina XDR. Yeah. <laughs> I think they call it that. That's the name of that one, I think. But the, whatever, the XDRness of it. Like I'm missing out all of that, which is like a real shame. It's like like everybody using one of these things. I'm dying for Apple to bring out an external display of their own now. Because mm-hmm. plus, just my experience of docking is just not that great. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I have a bunch of issues with, with like, I have to, every day, I have to unplug and replug the cable in the back of the monitor for the Wait, what? dock for it to work. I don't, I don't know why. May, I feel like at some point I need to maybe just try again with this thing, but I have a CalDigit dock, right? And that dock has got, like, my, I've got, like, a bunch of things plugged into it, like a keyboard and the mouse dongle and all that kind of stuff. And then I have a cable coming from the dock to the monitor, which is, and the, but the monitor is a USB-C monitor, right? We spoke about this before. Mm-hmm. The USB kit. And then I have the Thunderbolt cable going into the laptop, right? So I plug the, I plug the cable into the laptop. Everything starts working, except the monitor doesn't work. So I have to unplug the monitor, uh, replug the monitor, and then everything's fine. Every day I have to do this. Okay, yeah. Because docking is just not great. So, But I know that if Apple did it, it would work. No problem. Yeah. So I mean, it's just it, you know, so it's just a frustration. I don't know why I have this issue with the laptop, but I do. Like you know, like my M1 iMac, I have a second display. I have a Dell display on the side of it, and that one never has issues. So I don't know what it is specifically about my arrangement, but there's something wrong with my particular arrangement that hmm. everything works except the monitor doesn't come on until I unplug and replug the monitor. I don't know why this is. But then once I've done it that one time, it's fine. Yeah. Right? So like if my monitor goes to sleep, I just press a key and it all wakes up again. Mm-hmm. It's just that initial plugging in, there's something about the like, you know, like it, it, it can get the stuff with, with docks and, and like Thunderbolt or whatever, like where there is an argument about which is the dominant just like thing that's plugged in. Right? Yeah. I feel like that's that's the thing that can happen with a lot of this stuff. And I feel like there's some exchange that's not happening. Anyway, this is pointless for this discussion. But anyway, that's what I'm using my MacBook Pro for most of the time. Okay. But what I have right now is just this incredibly powerful machine. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. There's a bunch of stuff to talk about with these things, right? So mm-hmm. I feel like most everyone's already kind of talked about the basics. Like everyone's seen, like there's a notch, right? And like, I know how you Don't feel. Care. Yeah, it's, whatever. 
doesn't okay. matter. I think they could use a little bit of software tweaking with some of the menu bar items. Cause like on my 13, I'm looking at my, my menu bar right now. And I definitely have items all the way across, which I know we talked about last time with bartender. Yeah, we can, you, you need to use bartender. I mean, I've been using bartender anyway. So my, my menu bar is pretty tidy. Like mm -hmm. my menu bar at it's like maximum of everything I put in. It doesn't come close to the notch. So yeah. Yeah. So like, fine. Fine. Uh, I am pleasantly surprised with the size and the weight, right? So I know that uh, 14 is definitely kind of the, the sweet spot. The 16 is huge. Like that thing is legitimately great if you need that kind of screen real estate. And I know a lot of people do. I used to use the 16, but uh, I've seen the light and the light is not as heavy and not as big and <laughs> is much easier well, to find. 14 like, is, you're, you're closer to 16. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's, it, you've got more screen, right? So you're, you're yeah. getting closer. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it looks bigger and heavier. It looks, it isn't really. I mean, mm -hmm. it is. I mean, look, if you look at this, the specs, it is bigger and heavier. But in usage, I don't feel that. But yeah. like, when you look at it, it looks like a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the speakers are actually, I, obviously the screen is great, right? Like I think that was kind of what I expected. I didn't expect the speakers to be so good. And the speakers have already been really good on like the 13-inch MacBook that I'm coming on, uh, from. But the 14, I know they talk about like the spatial audio and this and that. But I mean, it's got some real stereo sort of separation. There's mm -hmm. some real sort of like low-end response. And it just, it feels very full. Like they've done a really good job of tuning it and tweaking it, especially considering that I feel like some, uh, I don't know how many speakers are in the 14, but it's some, at least one of their two of them are downward firing and then the rest are sort of upward firing, but kind of like at different angles. So it kind of, it does a good job. I'm curious, like, you always use headphones, though. Do you actually use the speakers on your MacBook very often? Um, <laughs> I mean, yes, but it's usually closed, but it still works fine. So, like, I'll oh. watch, like, a video or whatever, right? And the sound's coming out of the closed laptop, <laughs> but it does yeah, a yeah. good job. You know, like, I'm just eating lunch or whatever and watching my favorite Austin Evans content oh, or whatever, you know? And so, and but it does it does a fine job for that, right? Like, I don't need pristine audio in those environments. Like, and Fair. most of the time I use my AirPods, but I do, I, I listen to, to audio from it, but I have obviously tried it out with the laptop open and stuff. Um, and it's and it's great, you know. It work. It does a great job. Yeah, yeah. So I have a couple of questions for but you. But when I edit, when I edit podcasts, though, I do edit with headphones on. Right, right. Which I mean makes sense. Like, I mean, I always wear headphones when we're recording and Be whatnot. Surprised. I, I, it's always surprised me. A lot of my friends and and like people that I know, they they edit through speakers. I don't get it, but. Well, that's what they do. I kind of get that from some ways because, like, you know, if you think about if you're really deep in like the audio production side of things, most people who are like listening, like creating like uh, music and stuff, they do it on speakers. They don't really do it on headphones. So I guess there is a little bit of a that's the way it typically is done. But I agree. Like, I always use headphones if I'm recording, if I'm doing anything to do with audio, if I'm editing video, whatever the case is, I just always like a pair of headphones. Um, so, okay, I have, I have some questions for you. How is battery life on your 14 inch? Like how I know you say you have a docked a lot, but yeah, that's one of my big question marks waiting for my unit is like, is it going to be that great? Mm. Here's what I'll say. So I have used, I, I've spent some time like when I was setting it up and using it over the first few days, I was just using it a lot, right? Yeah. At home, just using it as a laptop. And I've been doing a little bit more of that recently because I, I, I really like using this computer. 
It's like, you know, like I, w- I would go and grab it at a time when I might use an iPad when I'm at home, but I'll go grab the laptop. And I will say battery life is really good. It doesn't feel as good as my 13-inch, mm-hmm. but still more than enough. Okay. That's good to know. Right? Like it is, it is still at the level where this is the the most battery power I'll get from any device I own. Okay. You know, like it's better than my iPad. Um, but it's I can tell it's it's draining a bit quicker than the 13. Yeah. But not uh, like a, but that is as expected um from the specs and stuff of like this is still all day battery, but it it gets a couple of hours less than the 13 inch. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, that's that's exactly what I had hoped for because when you think about the 13 it is so ridiculous. Like, I mean, the the fact of like I charge this laptop just randomly when I'm like, oh, I should probably plug in at some point. Like, I never really think about it. Is such a big deal. And you look at the the new display, which I assume is probably going to be more power hungry. I don't know that, but I just well, no, because it's variable refresh still. So it's oh, it's yeah. it's it's. I think it balances itself out in that way. Fair, yeah. You know, like similar to how the iPad does it and how the iPhone does it, yeah. uh, it's benefiting that way. Well, then I would also be curious as far as the chip, because actually you on an episode of Connected recently got to actually chat with some people on the sort of the chip side. It was an upgrade on, on upgrade. Yeah, we got to on, on upgrade. We got to talk to um, Tim Millay and Tom Boga from Apple. And and Tim is uh, one of the vice presidents in the uh, architecture, like the chip architecture. And so he it was a really good conversation. I recommend people go check it out because we got to ask like a lot about like what were the decisions that you were making when mm-hmm. looking at how you put these chips together? And also it was really fascinating to kind of talk about how they kind of see themselves or not when looking at the overall competition now, because, you know, we're just talking about this Intel, AMD, and now Apple are all in like a similar power and, and um, like results area now, yeah, which is really weird and interesting. Uh, and so, yeah, it was kind of fascinating to kind of see what what they think they are, where they think they are uh, compared to the competition. It's really interesting because, like, you know, uh, the, obviously these chips are a huge step forward. And especially mm-hmm. if the rumors are true and that sort of the the future of, you know, the, the Mac Pro and the iMac Pro or whatever is sort of taking a bunch of these chips and continuing to glue them together and making a, a Lego yeah. masterpiece of, you know, this huge thing. I think they've got a really good place to start. Now, it does make sense as far as on the laptop side that battery life would be impacted because you think about it, it's not only a physically larger chip, but uh, on the Pro, you've got double the memory that you need to feed. And on the Mac, you've got quadruple the memory compared to the M1. So like those chips, even if it's not a lot, having the fact that they are connected and always taking some power is going to have a battery sort of life penalty, especially considering that the underlying technology between them is all the same anyway. Um, I'm so... Can we talk about the touch bar for a second? Can can we just do that? Can we just take a little detour? Why would you want to talk about the touch bar? (laughs) Who cares? (laughs) Okay, I'm going to say this in the most diplomatic way I possibly can. Okay. It's a safe space here, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. I think Apple made a mistake, and I want my touch bar back. Oh, my God. Okay. Yep. Look, okay. I have always liked the touch bar. The touch bar is not a perfect thing by any means. It always has been, to me, 
oversold is like, look at the potential, look at all the possibilities you can do. Well, guess what? We're like five years into the touch bar. It still does almost exactly the same thing it did from day one, right? But you know what it does from day one that nothing else does? It works better than stupid buttons that don't do anything, Mike. Ugh! <laughs> <laughs> so what are you what do you <sighs> lost? Okay. What is what is Okay. So for a small example, right? As we record, you know what I've got on my touch bar right now? I've got a little record light. I have this length right. of our recording. I have a little start stop button. You know what I don't have to do? I don't have to go tab through my my windows. I don't have to go pull up a keyboard shortcut. I can just literally look Fair at enough. my touch bar, right? So here was what I, I've thought this when I when I saw the new MacBook Pros and I looked at the the, the height of the uh, the function row, mm-hmm. and I thought, I think in another world I would have liked half height function keys and a touch bar. Yes, yes. Look, the problem with the touch bar for me was they just never really did anything with it. But <sighs> I enjoyed using it. Mm-hmm. Like it was a nicer way to change the volume. Yes. For example. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so much faster to just put my finger down, slide it left and right, not tap, 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 tap. I've like I'm so ingrained in just tapping and sliding my volume or anything like that. Also, in Final Cut, I use it all the time, right? Like I have a bunch of my sh- keyboard shortcuts up on top where I don't have to think about it. Yes, can I remap that to something else? Sure. But I didn't need to because that useless row of function keys that I never did anything with had a bunch of the stuff that I used on a regular basis, right? Like, mm. I get it. I also get the fact that not only was the touch bar not popular, and to be fair, a lot of people complain about the touch bar freezing and breaking on them, which in all the years I've had a touch bar, I've never had any problems with. So I don't, I guess I can't speak to that. I guess some people have just bad luck with it or something, but it's always been fine for me. Um, but also I think about it from a cost perspective. This is a really weird custom OLED that they've been shipping, right? Like no one else, like they're definitely custom ordering this very specific size and shape. It's not probably massively expensive, but you know what it is? Definitely more expensive than a couple of freaking function keys that they drop into the keyboard, right? So it's like mm-hmm. if if they had to save the 20 bucks, whatever that costs to, you know, make the touch bar and they put that into the better display, sure. If Everyone hated the touch bar and is happy it's gone. Sure. To me, though, it's just like, I'm fine with it. Like, I'm going to use the new MacBook. I'll forget all about this wonderful period of my life where I got to have a relationship with the touch bar. But, like, I I just, it irritates me that everyone's, like, celebrating what I consider to be a downgrade. And it just, it doesn't set right with me. And I just need to talk Mm. about it because I've been holding this inside for a while and it's just not healthy. I'm just, I want my... I, I, I'm not I'm not in any rush at all to drop my M1 MacBook because I'm going to be staring at my touch bar and be like, goodbye, little buddy. We had some some good times together. Interesting. That's interesting. I, I don't know anybody that feels strongly about it. Like I did, <laughs> of all of my friends, I, I felt like I was the only one who liked it, but I also found it frustrating too because like I noticed that that was kind of like where I rested my hands on the keyboard. I would find mm. myself hitting the buttons unnecessarily, but I always felt like there was there was opportunity that was missed with mm-hmm. the touch bar. Um, I would like to see them try and do something again in the future, but not at the expense of removing the buttons as well, because there were certain things where like like wasn't as simple like getting to mute, you know, like was not as simple, mm-hmm. you know? Like you're just hitting a mute button. So I don't know. I would like to see them do more. I would like to see them maybe look at some way they could incorporate it. I mean, frankly, I just want a touchscreen on a Mac. Like, yeah. just want them to do that. Like, <sighs> that's the route to go. 
I don't know why they won't do it. And I feel like anybody that says, I don't understand why you'd want that has not used a Windows <laughs> laptop of a touchscreen. Look, I, I go back and forth between a lot of devices, like I'm sure you do on a very regular basis, right? Uh-huh. And for a while, I would actually touch my non touchscreen laptop screen or whatever. I'm just like, oh, ha, ha, ha. I used an iPad yesterday, I guess. I like, mm-hmm. no, you know what? I still do that. I still do it all the time because everything else yeah, in my life too. is a touchscreen. Yeah. And I just like, oh, I'm just, oh, I just swiped my MacBook screen now. I just got I, it I dirty. I don't want to like start typing on an on-screen keyboard on my Mac, right? No. Like that's stupid. But I want to be able to reach up to the menu bar and hit the volume button. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, or scroll a page or whatever. Like yeah. some things, it's nice to just have the options. It's like if you've ever used an iPad with a Magic Keyboard, Oh, you yeah. understand that Apple agrees with this idea, right? That you can have keyboard and a trackpad and a touchscreen. Like, Absolutely. For iPad OS, it works. For Mac OS, for some reason, they think it doesn't work, and I don't agree with them. Yeah. So, look, I'm, I'm happy, and I'm going to be very happy when I get to do my first edit on an M1 Max and watch it yeah, export. I can't wait and... to see how, like, when you start actually putting it through its paces yep. to that level. I mean, what I'll say is, uh, against an M1 uh, iMac, which is very similar in performance to my iMac Pro with audio stuff, I'm seeing a pretty consistent, like, 20% speed increase. Okay, okay. Which, I mean, I think is quite a bit like it's it's quite i mean and this is under like they're not um optimizing for audio stuff the way that they optimize for video stuff yeah yeah so this is just like a 20 percent raw power increase that i'm seeing right like i i doubt logic is leaning heavily on your giant max gpu that's really flexing its muscles exactly and this is why i didn't go for the full fat gpu option Mm -hmm. because i just knew that like it's not going to really benefit me as much. And, you know, it's like, look, they have video encoders built into yep. the the system on a chip, and they just don't do this stuff for audio. But it's like audio doesn't need it, right? Because an audio export takes a couple of minutes, right? And it's yeah. just like, and that's at like full quality, right? Like I'm exporting like a uncompressed WAV file, and it takes a couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. So like, it's, you know, it's just like it's not uh, a, a, as as intensive an operation, but I'm seeing like a 20% increase on that, which is just like fantastic, right? Like, yeah. uh, like why not? More speed, why not? Why not? Yeah, and I think especially in the audio editing world, uh, I feel like a lot of the people who really try to flex these things are like music producers who are going to run 400 plugins at the same time. Yeah, and all they it's going to be way harder. Yeah, yeah. They want a pile of RAM and a bunch of CPU cores. That's what they need for that. And it will get the job done. Mm-hmm. So, uh, look, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm happy that there's a 14-inch yep. that I'm not having to compromise in performance. Yep. Like, that was the main reason why I used to use 15s and 16s, because there was such a huge performance delta between the 13-inch and the 15 or the 16. I'm happy that I'm sure when I really dig into it and benchmark, the 14 is probably going to lose a little bit of performance and, like, rendering because it doesn't have the same kind of thermal capability. Eh, whatever. It's fine. Like, I've been happy with the M1. If I was on this M1 for another year, it would be fine. But, uh, shiny new toys. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. While you've been listening to the show, how would you know if your website had gone down? Would you know if your customers couldn't click that buy button or fill out a triumph form? You might stumble across it by luck, but that means you've already lost out on new customers. You need something to tell you that everything's running smoothly on your website, and more importantly, when it isn't, so you need Pingdom. 
Pingdom detects around 13 million outages every month. That's more than 400,000 outages a day. And for as low as $10 a month, Pingdom helps keep your sites online. It doesn't matter if you're a startup or a Fortune 500 company, you need real-time alerts about critical website issues and customization of how you're alerted, whether it's via SMS, email, or your team's collaboration apps. Pingdom even tracks and analyzes your website's load times so you know that something when something's affecting your experiences and when it isn't. And so like you can really make those informed choices. If you have a website, you need Pingdom. Take charge of monitoring your site in minutes and go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM and you'll get a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code TESTDRIVERS at checkout and you'll get a huge 30% off your first invoice. That's pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code TESTDRIVERS at checkout and you'll get 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show from Relay FM. Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro. Woo-hoo. Now, I am a, I do not own one of these devices. I and I haven't I I you know like like every cool device I thought about it like, and it's like <laughs> no no I'm fine. You I'm hovered fine. over the buy button you're like do I, I have need my this? Z Flip with my amazing Z Flip case and that will do it for me. But I you know I was just poking around. I've watched a bunch of reviews and I would say this device, I haven't seen something like this in a long time. I feel like every review that I've watched, and I maybe watched like five at this point, every single one of them has disagreed on basically every single point. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. Like, I, you know, like I'd watch like uh, Dave2D's video, yep. or I'd watch MKBHD's video, or I'd watch The Verge's video, and everyone had a completely different set of opinions about the Pixel 6. <sighs> and you don't see this. I just yeah. feel like this is not a thing yeah. that you see. Like the iPhone, everyone's views are basically the same, right? Mm-hmm. The Samsung Galaxy S20, everyone's views basically the same, right? Like it's better in this, it's better in this, it's worse in this. Like you watch one or two of them and you can guess how it's going to go. And this is not a criticism of the creators. It's just like there just isn't that much to disagree about, right? They're like they know what they're doing and they've improved on it in this way and maybe it's worse in such and such a way. But you can kind of like just you know what would you know what it's gonna be. But for whatever reason, this phone seems to be more of a it has more opinion to mm-hmm. it than any other phone that i've seen in a in a long time it's it's a much more divisive and subjective kind of opinion on the pixel right so oh there's a lot to dig into okay i I guess let's talk about camera because i think camera is definitely where the subjectivity comes in look i have taken some absolutely incredible photos on the pixel 6 i've also taken some photos that were embarrassed by in comparison to the iphone they just were bad right and it's like Inconsistency is one thing, but it's like it very much depends on where you're at and what you're doing. My sort of general thought is this. The Pixel takes great photos most of the time, but it does, to my eye, 
tend to lean a little bit too much on the processing, which obviously has always been a pixel thing. But this generation, like, so uh, actually Ken and I were sitting back and he was looking at some photos from the Pixel 2 that he had taken like back in Japan a few years ago. And it was just like looking at some of those images, like you could tell they were obviously doing a lot of computational photography, but it seemed like it was a little bit more of like a, a, a lighter touch. And obviously, you know, so subjective, right? On what you think looks good versus not. But to me, it almost feels like Google has taken the like AI processing slider and they've bumped it to 11 and they should bring it to like eight and a half, nine, which is probably where the iPhone, for example, kind of lives. Like it just, sometimes these images just look way too HDRified. You know, you look at like skin, like it completely treats skin a different way than like the fabric of your shirt. And you look at it and go like, that's just not what a photo should look like. I, I get the idea of like, you know, situating certain parts of an image and sort of toning down others. But you look at that and you look at like a sky, which is like 100% exposure and shadows that have been lifted. It's just like, it's like you've thrown a crazy amount of filtering at every single photo, and sometimes it just works, but a lot of times it's just like, it's a little like much. You shared some images of me that were weird. Yeah. I, so I would say most images I've taken on the Pixel are good. Some are yeah. terrific. But yeah. they're like I would say maybe 10% of the shots I take on the Pixel are okay or kind of bad and that's just not something like if it's the z flip right like that's about the same hit rate as the z flip right when i take a photo on the z flip most of the time the images are good rarely are they amazing but most times they're pretty good and then sometimes i'm like ah you know it's pretty grainy or oh the color is off or whatever the case is uh you know what i never have a problem with is the iphone the iphone always takes a good image it is so rare to take something and when it is it's usually like when i'm using the telephoto and like low light like that's usually the spot where i'm like ah it missed a little bit but like when i'm taking a normal still on the main sensor on the iphone 13 pro it is always good if not great and it's like to me like some of those pixel images that i share with you like some of those i could probably spend five ten minutes and i could fix them but you know i don't i don't want to do that because I would rather just the image to look great. Like, I take a lot of photos. I happen to have a little one who I take lots and lots of photos of. I don't have to yep. go through and spend five to ten minutes for every photo I take every day trying to filter it and, you know, tweak my white balance and bring my exposure down and all this kind of nonsense, right? It's like, <sighs> to me, I just think that the Pixel kind of has always been predicated on, the success of it really has been around the idea that it has this amazing, incredible camera. And it does have a very good camera, right? Like we're comparing it to the iPhone, which is incredible. If you compare it to most everything else, it is really good. And again, when it hits, it absolutely hits. Like some of those images are incredible. But I think, especially when you look at the Pixel 6 Pro at 900 bucks, it is a very good camera and it sort of fits in among some of the best, but it is not the best. And it kind of needs to be, in my opinion. Also feels like they can fix it. I, I, I feel like... Some of it is right. just like, just guys, just take the camera app, just dial it down a little bit and we'll be in much better shape. Like it's, it's maybe it's more of a, subject, a subjective taste thing, but that to me is probably the best explanation of why there's so much like sort of differing opinions on the Pixel 6 and why some people love it and why some people are a little bit more jaded by it. Because it's just, they're doing a lot of stuff to it. It's a very sort of like art over science kind of thing. And at the moment, it's like where you're gonna you're gonna kind of have to wait to see if that's if it changes, but it might not, and you might not need it to. I think 
One of the things I feel like I'm I'm getting from this phone is that it is different in the way that it does seem to be different for different people. Like depending on what your personal set of circumstances are, mm-hmm. that makes this phone quite unique. I feel compared to what's out there. Well, like depending on who you are and what you want from your phone, this could be the perfect phone for you. Maybe in a way that other phones wouldn't be. I don't know. Absolutely no. I think the six, the regular Pixel 6 is the move. The 6 Pro, we'll talk about it, but like the 6 Pro is okay at 900 bucks. The regular Pixel 6 is $600 is an absolute unquestionable recommendation, right? Like, yeah, when I'm comparing the $1,000 iPhone 13 Pro to the $600 Pixel 6, uh, I still prefer the iPhone camera a little bit, right? But if I consider the price there, it is it is like a it's not even close to how much more that sort of price to performance is in the Pixel's favor, right? And it's not just the camera, right? Yes, the telephoto is missing on the the 6, but like, that's fine. The telephoto is nice on the Pro, but it's not worth in a $300. I like the screen on the regular Pixel 6. Uh, I wish it was 120 hertz, but also I don't really care that much. The flat display is nice. What I really want, and uh, surprise, surprise, Mr. Austin Contrarian Evans here, I wish it was smaller because both of these phones are big. Like the, the Pro is huge. The regular Pixel 6 to me is still very large, right? Yeah, they're pretty big. Uh, yeah. They're pretty big. And I will also say, before we completely move away from the camera stuff, uh, the video is fine. It's better than most Android video. It is not as good as what Apple is able to do on the iPhone. Like, especially with the iPhone 13, for a recent video, that, or for a upcoming video, which will be going live in the next week or so, that we'll definitely talk about, uh, I would say a good 30, 40% of that video was shot on iPhone. No one's going to notice. I feel very confident that if people hmm. notice it's going to be only because they're looking for it that footage looks great in the right conditions which are to be fair most of them right so there's that um okay the price the price we got to talk about the price $600 for the Pixel 6 is so good for what you get like there's certainly some things that the phone is missing and i think battery life is one that is like it's pretty decent but also not really anything that's particularly amazing um but a six hundred dollars, like there's like this is almost like the old school Nexus or OnePlus, but it's more of a complete package. I guess would be the way I would describe it because the Pixel Six isn't necessarily the greatest at most things, but it is pretty damn good at almost everything. The Tensor chip is perfectly performant. Screen is good. The build is decent. Camera is very good. Like there's there's a lot going for it. It's just the Pro is where I'm just like. That's $300 is such a big difference for what is basically the same thing. Yeah. What do you think about uh, Material U and all that kind of stuff? How does that impact your experience using this phone? (laughs) This is the thing that almost got me in trouble last time. I wanted to talk about this so much. I actually love freaking Material U, man. Like, I love it in a way that's definitely like a little bit like the way way I love the Z Flip, which is not 100% rational. Um, I am a dude who oftentimes, like, okay, my MacBook that I'm recording on right now, I never change the default wallpaper. A lot of times, I don't care. Like, I'm whatever, whatever. Uh, Material U, I probably have swapped the wallpaper on this Pixel 
20 times since I've gotten it. Because what it does is it will pull a few colors from your wallpaper and use those as accent colors throughout the OS. Sounds simple, and it is kind of simple, but it's so much fun. Like I was like tweaking like the green of my wallpaper to like try to match the green of the phone. And it's just, it's fresh. It feels good. You know, it's in the keyboard, it's in the Gmail app. It's not everywhere, everywhere to be fair, but it's in a lot of places when you pull down the notification shade or what have you. Uh, I am actually kind of sad that we'll probably not see that ever land on like the Z Flip or most other non-Pixel phones. I don't know how other companies are gonna take the you know, Material U and sort of, the, I don't know how much of this is baked into Android 12 versus the Pixel. My assumption is most of it is baked into the Pixel, um, but it's really nice. Like the software honestly is, might be my favorite thing on the Pixel 6. It's really, really nice. Cause I feel like the widgets, right? So like the widgets that mm. Google have built, they will adapt to Material U. Yes. I don't know if other developers are gonna do this. I mean, okay, it's weird because, like, Android has had widgets forever. And, you know, uh, widgets were there. And, I, you know, I've always used, you know, a handful of, you know, calendar widget or whatever on, on Android. But I feel like last year, iOS got widgets, and suddenly they were the hot, cool new thing. And I feel like Google's like, oh, right, we have this. And they, like, sort of refreshed their widgets. But, man, I got to tell you, there are a lot of widgets on Android that feel like they're straight out of, like, 2012, right? I'm looking at you, Spotify. I'm looking at you. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, which I, I I I think that this is a fixable thing. If people start caring a little bit more and sort of material you is a little bit more of a like all devices kind of get some elements of that. And, you know, there's more reason for developers to pay attention. But to me, I'm just like the widgets that I do use are nice, but most of them are third-party widgets that are very custom, and I can't see a lot of developers completely rewriting their widgets just to, to look a little bit prettier. I mean, if they do, great. But um, yeah, Material U is really nice, though. It, a lot of stuff in Android 12, like, the only thing that really kind of bothers me, it's a really nitpick, is that it now takes an extra couple of swipes to, like, turn on and off Wi-Fi. Because when you swipe down, it doesn't give you a Wi-Fi toggle. It gives you an internet toggle. And then you click on that, and then it opens up, oh, here's your Wi-Fi, and here's your cellular, and then you can adjust them from there. I feel like it's a little bit too much swiping and clicking to just turn off Wi-Fi, which is what I do pretty regularly. But yep. that's a really minor thing. Like the software on these phones is terrific, feels good, looks great. So it's just fun. And I don't say that about a lot of software that it actually is fun mm. without looking cartoonish and, you know, terrible. Does the um like change in the wallpaper, change in the colors, is that like pretty reliable? Like you yes. feel like it hits, right? Yeah, yeah. So it'll uh it'll instantly do it for you, but you can also tweak it. So like it'll pull the colors that it thinks are like the the handful, I think it's like three or four like primary colors from the wallpaper. But you also can just open those colors up and just tweak it a little bit if you want, right? I was kind of like having fun with just not tweaking it and just like changing different wallpapers and watching it like pull the mm -hmm. orange and the yellow and the black and the green or whatever the case is out of those wallpapers. I would say it is very good at figuring out those colors and figuring out what colors work well for your interface and then figuring out like, oh, here's the light version, here's the medium, here's the, the accent color or what have you. Does the Pixel have a way of automatically changing the wallpaper? Ooh. Um, but you see what I'm asking? Like, yeah, yeah. Could, you know, like if I say like, hey, here is an album that I really like, mm -hmm. can you just pull new uh, images out of this album 
So in the past, the pixels have given you an option to automatically like swap your wallpaper in like a category of like landscapes or whatever uh, every day. I'll be honest with you, I have only used a bunch of my cool wallpapers that I like. So I actually haven't tested that. I bet that there is a way for you to automatically have it pull and look kind of different. I will say though, it is a little bit jarring um, to have lots of different colors. Like I find it to be kind of fun, but also like when you open up uh -huh. Gmail and like the app is like 20% opacity, green or blue or red or orange or whatever, it does look a little bit odd, especially some of the orange and the red wallpapers. It right. almost looks a little bit like night shift is on, which I'm not a huge fan of, which is why I leaned more on the greens and the blues. Um, so I would say it might be a little bit jarring if you're changing your wallpaper every day and the entire interface goes with it. But generally speaking, obviously it's a subjective thing. Generally speaking, I think they do a really good job of making it just kind of look nice. Like it always just looks nice if Fair you enough. like that kind of aesthetic, which I personally do. So obviously they, they have a lot of like focus on Tensor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like there was anything that Tensor you could point to was adding is added to your experience so tensor's interesting i mean uh now that we've kind of the embargo's up and everyone's kind of been able to poke around it's a samsung chip like it's a samsung semi-custom chip that there's some googly bits inserted um like performance is solid um there's a couple things on the downside i'm disappointed with how slow the photo processing is like if you just take photos and you don't really think about it it's fine it'll do it in the background but if you take a photo and you want to open it up and see the preview i've seen it take several seconds to process that preview which to be fair like you know the iphone takes a second you know my galaxy takes a second my my z flip but i feel like both of those phones take like one, maybe one and a half seconds for things to sharpen up and to process. I feel like with the Pixel, I've sat there waiting three, four, five seconds for it to finally get rid of the preview and actually show me the full res image, which I think partially is because it is using that 50 megapixel sensor. They've kind of got to like downsample and everything like that. So on one side, it feels slower than like older Pixels, especially when they used to ship with the visual core when it comes mm. to, you know, doing the processing and everything sort of in more real time. On the flip side, though, stuff like the voice typing is really incredible. Like, you look at the demos, and it is just as good as what you see in, like, a Marquez video or something, where it's just, it's instant. It does a very good job with adding, like, punctuation and whatnot. I can see a scenario in which if you're taking notes or you're, I mean, I feel you could write a script or something with the voice and just go in and just tweak it from, you know, here or there. But, like, it does a really good job. And that, I would assume, is primarily running on Tensor. But also, I'm not totally convinced that that couldn't have been running on a Snapdragon Triple Eight or something. Like, a Tensor to me feels like it's fine. It's totally okay. But I'd be curious to see in a couple years from now if they go for something a little bit more ambitious versus if you handed me a Pixel and never told me what chip was inside of it, I never, there would never have been a moment where I'm like, oh my God, this is fast. Oh my God, this is cool in a way that I would not have thought about it if it was a Snapdragon Triple Eight or something. Like, it's fine. It's good. But it's also not special i guess yeah i mean they, they i think that seems like google's whole pitch which i actually you know the more i thought about it i appreciate is they were just saying look we're not going for power we're going for what this allows mm -hmm. and you know and fine i mean honestly i don't i can't see anything that honestly i don't see anything that they've shown that they couldn't have done on a snapdragon like yeah. i don't i don't it, maybe eventually this will be good for them but like the things that they're showing off like in the sh like you know like the um the Magic Eraser, right? Like, everyone's like, oh, Magic Eraser, <laughs> Magic Eraser. There are so many apps that do this. Yep, yep. Like, <laughs> I have apps on my iPad, my Mac do this great. 
Like there are apps on Android already do this great. It's awesome that it's built into the camera, but Google did not need to make their own chip so they could erase the stuff in images. <laughs> no, it's a flashy, good marketing thing. It's great yeah. for TikToks, right? I mean, I, yeah. the, one of the things that is probably a little bit of a bigger deal is that Tensor allows them to support their devices for longer since they're not waiting for Qualcomm to you know update their old chipset drivers for Android 16 or whatever. So there's that. But uh, yeah, I, to me, Tensor is still more about the potential than anything else. On the flip side... It's the start, right? It's yes. the start. They didn't mess it up, which they very easily could have. It could have been true, much true, worse. True. Uh, you know, you could be looking at really weak CPU performance or whatever. There does seem to be a little bit of an issue with the display or the... the something... Uh, I was reading in an Anantec article. They were measuring, like, something about when you were, like, running at low brightnesses, uh, the display, like, the base, like, sort of power usage of the display is very high to the point where, like... Uh, uh, it's something to do with like the ambient light that it's pulling in and like how much like the driver is pulling. Uh, the, that's, I think, part of the reason why the battery life is less than optimal, especially considering that, that both of these phones have huge sort of cells. But I think when you put it together, like sort of like my general thoughts are like this. Like I completely agree with you that it is a really subjective device. Like it is not a simple, straightforward iPhone or Galaxy S22 update or something like that, right? Like this is definitely Google trying very hard to make the Pixel mainstream. Now, for me personally, I don't like how big they are. Like, I just, I actually spent more time spent uh, using the Pixel 5 than I have on the Pixel 6, which, um, <clears throat> spoiler alert, the Z flips back in my pocket. Um, but, like, the Pixel 5, at least because it was so small and because it felt so different, I, I like that phone, right? Like, I think it was obviously expensive and not super powerful, but there was definitely stuff I liked about the Pixel 5. The Pixel 6 Pro is fine, but not really that great i think it's like i would still probably buy an iphone 13 pro or i would buy a cheaper like s21 like pro or ultra or something or plus or ultra i think the pixel 6 is where it's at though there's nothing else in that 600 dollars price category that is so good in so many ways it's mm. it's easy to kind of poke holes in it when you compare it to a thousand dollar plus flagships but when you consider the price tag of it and all the things that it does you know, really not too far off of those very expensive flagships. That, I think, is really where it shines. I think that they did a very good job. I think they're going to sell a lot of Pixel 6s. I'm just... I just think that maybe this is a, a case where my expectations were very high, and it's pretty good, and Google talked a very big game about a lot of this stuff, but I think they set expectations a little too high and came close, but didn't quite hit everything. The good phones, Pixel 6 is, I would say, a great phone, but they also aren't going to light the world on fire. I don't think it's going to make you go take your OnePlus or Samsung and throw it in the garbage. Let me tell you about another show here on Relay FM you should check out. It's called Clockwise. Hosts Dan Moran and Micah Sargent invite two guests every week from a diverse pool of tech professionals and cover four tech topics in 30 minutes. Not a second more. They, they hard out at 30. Go to relay.fm slash clockwise or search for clockwise wherever you get your podcasts.